Hey guys, welcome back to Sensory Overload. It's your favorite average Jills. I'm Presley Colby. And I'm Ashley Beaver. You guys ready to get started? Ashley, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Oh, of course. So today we are going to be talking about development and how um, development really affects everything that we're going to be talking about. Again, um, last episode, if you missed it, we talked a little bit about, um, well, a lot about, we didn't talk a little, it was no, a lot it was about a lot. the pyramid of learning and um, sensory. So yes. everything that that entails. So this time we want to talk about development and kind of break it down by age group. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what age you're working with, whether it's infantile all the way up to adolescence. That um, is such a good point. Yeah. I mean, it, learning starts at birth. Right. Um, I mean, technically, research-wise, it, it starts in utero and, and you can um, really do a lot to prepare your your new um, unborn child for um, giving them the best opportunity mm-hmm. to be successful in in their life by just this is kind of cheesy, but taking care of your body as as a, a mom carrying life inside of yes. you, you have to stay healthy, you have to take all of your vitamins, and um, brain development starts um, pretty quickly with um, a new pregnant mom and um, Again, contrary to some medical professionals and and beliefs, um, holistic development and total child care, which we talk about all the time when we are at work and working with um, the population that we do, it's so important to see the child for all that they are and all that they um, bring to the table, whether that be strengths, weaknesses, um, cognitive abilities, um, you know, the speech and language aspect of it, the, um, the physical aspect, all of it is that child. Mm -hmm. So you have to address all of those pieces individually. And like I said, that starts at, that starts at birth. And, um, if you're missing milestones and missing some of those signs, you're really missing out on primitive reflexes. Exactly. You're missing out on early intervention Mm -hmm. and earlier intervention is key. Right. I also want to say a little disclaimer. Yeah, thanks. we are not doctors. Nope. Not occupational therapists. Not a. We are not speech therapists. Nope. We are not diagnosticians. But we are pretty cool. We're pretty cool and we're pretty knowledgeable. <laughs> yes, pretty average, but also pretty awesome, right? <laughs> I like to think so. Anyway. Yes, but just like Ashley was saying, development is so important. Mm-hmm. It starts in utero. It starts. Oh gosh, kind of. I don't know the exact statistic, but it's almost like when mom immediately knows she's pregnant yeah, and how her stress levels, what she's thinking about the baby, was the baby something that mom wanted? Is right. dad on page? What mm-hmm. does family life look like? We're talking about How's when- mom's stress level? Yes. What's her diet like? We're talking about when baby is like a little Petri dish, mm-hmm. you know, before- mm-hmm. First trimester. Yes. First trimester. Like when you, you know, the three lines show up or whatever it is on the pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And like Ashley said, it's early intervention is key, but that doesn't mean if you don't have early intervention, all hope is lost. Right. That's, that's a great point. I have worked with older boys who at 14 were just showing us that they were able to read and kind of check some of those milestones off Mm -hmm. communication wise in late adolescent, early teen. Right. It's important. 
I'm sorry, Kevin the, the is floating mic. Kevin is messing with <laughs> your mic, and I just saw. <laughs> sorry, guys. I have a bad habit of doing that. You throw off our groove, Kev. <laughs> we, were, we were vibing, we were vibing. And, and moving. Sorry. That's hey. okay. I'm, I'm all about. <laughs> do, I look, do I look okay? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you look good, girl. You got oh, I look what? Yeah, great. Great, great. Oh, great. Good, great, Graham. Well, Presley really hit the, the nail on the head with that one um, because <laughs> super, super important. But it's not um, – hope is not lost if, if it's not caught soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a hard time swallowing uh, children getting diagnosed on the spectrum – as early as two years old. I Sometimes mean, I've heard of people being diagnosed at 18 months. Yeah. That are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so while yes, that works out for some, it, it's not uh, one size, again, one size fit all. So um, if your child is diagnosed at, at 18 months, they get all the services, the intervention. Right. So early it, on, yeah, it can be and beneficial, but they don't need it. Right. You know, we talked about a lot of sensory processing before in a previous episode. And a lot of times since sensory processing is not on the DSM five, um, a lot of people get misdiagnosed as autism when right. really it's probably just sensory processing. And in our world, in our community, we get that a lot. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of, and then it's a label. It's, it's yes, stuck for on life. For, mm-hmm. That's for not life. something, that's not something to take lightly, but it's also, um, a great way to get services. Yes. So if, if you feel like your child is displaying, um, things that, that are, um, I, I mean, just red flags or, not doing things that they should, that you feel like they should be doing. That's kind of what this episode is about to talk about maybe just a couple of key points in each of the developmental stages and where they should be with some key things and where we as professionals in um, working with this population have seen a lot of um, missed signs and missed markers. Um, So I think we should dive right into it. Let's do it. So Research shows, too, that 75% of the brain develops after birth. So that, again, 25% is in utero, but 75% is a huge chunk. Yeah, it is. A but huge chunk. I was going to even say the opposite. I feel like 25% is a lot. Yeah, it's, it's that's not. That's some stuff that's so – we can recreate a lot of things, mm-hmm. but those key things you get in utero, you can't really replicate no. exactly like they should be. Right. So there are a lot of gaps you can go back and fill in, but mm-hmm. utero is not one. I do watch a um, cartoon. Develops after birth. It's one of my <laughs> favorites. There's an episode where the daughter and the mo- one of the daughters and the mom weren't getting along, and they had to go to the uterine room, and they were pretend pretending to be attached by the umbilical cord. It was hilarious. But what if we could recreate that? Stick somebody in there, you know? It, it would be incredible. But also bake them a little bit. But also. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds really creepy. I know it does. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about re- being rebaked. Ew. But I think that's another good time to slide in that um, parent shaming for for things that go wrong and oh, yeah, having no. a child on the spectrum or having some sort of cognitive or disability in general is is a really negative Thank you for saying yeah, that. a really mm-hmm. negative um thing that kind of happens in our world and in our community. Everyone should be building each other up right. and, and addressing the child that mm-hmm. is in front of them, not 
wondering what if, what could have been, or, or what went wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not. It sometimes. I mean, if I only would have. It's this, the big debate, I, right? Right. Like, Chicken is egg. It, right. It's kind of the same thing. Right. We are talking. I mean, when I say things that happen in utero, I'm not talking about mom didn't drink enough water or right. mom had one too many diet cokes. I'm talking about horrible traumatic things, mm-hmm. um, fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, early exposure to drugs, all of that fetal exposure to drugs. Right. I mean, just really horrible home lives. Maybe mom did everything she could, but environmental stressors. Mm-hmm. I thank you for saying that. Yeah. Parent shaming is not something that we want to do at all. We, like we've said on earlier episodes as well, we are all about respect. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we want to do is make someone feel like they've done something wrong on purpose right. or feel like they're I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but parent shaming is a real thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents carry guilt mm-hmm. unintentionally. Yeah. We're here to knock that down. Yeah. We don't want you to feel we, guilty. No, we want, no. we want to build up and celebrate your child for who he or she is Yes. versus again, I mean, life, life can be challenging. Life can be hard. Um, but there's also great joy in, in your child and, um, celebrating those differences is a huge part of what we do on a day-to-day basis and it makes it so much more fun whether they're three or 13 Mm -hmm. if they're hitting a milestone and making an accomplishment that's going to change their world let's celebrate it yeah the age no matter how big or small just like you talked about developmental age is something that's different but just because you're three doesn't necessarily mean you have all of the developmental abilities a three-year-old does just because you're 16 doesn't mean you have all of the developmental abilities a neurotypical 16 year old does Mm -hmm. Just like you said, we're here to celebrate all of that and watch how we can kind of foster through it. Yeah. And you know, Ashley and I are really big on movement big. and the sensory part of things and really what that does to develop your brain and increase those uh, mirror neurons, motor neurons, all of that stuff. So I'm really excited to talk about the development part of things. Yeah. Again, what we do and what has kind of been ingrained in us is developmental appropriateness. And mm-hmm. that I am a huge fan of the buzzwords, right? Um, obviously, that's a huge buzzword, but it, it's true. You have to have developmentally appropriate classrooms. You have to have developmentally appropriate materials in your classrooms. You have to be teaching the children developmentally appropriate um, curriculum or or ways of learning and taking in knowledge. Um, and that starts as an infant. Mm-hmm. So some things that I really want to touch on are primary reflexes. And, and what that means um, for us, and if those stages aren't met, um, there's a lot of uh, theorists and theories that we can kind of touch on. You know, Erickson, his eight psychosocial uh, crises and basic virtues. Um, Piaget is another big one. He's focused, hyper-focused on development and um, schemas and adaptation. Yes. Um, and then Parton for play. All of those things are really important, and we... Um, at work, pick and pick and choose some of those theologies and mash them into our working model, which is, in a sense, developmental appropriate practice. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, there's a lot of thematic things that kind of come from that. So mm-hmm. we have these great philosophers or right. whatever you want to call them yeah. um, that have come up with other things. People really studied them and there's methods. There are so many developmental approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, ABA is a big one, applied behavior analysis. Um you know, we work, a, <clears throat> collaborate a lot with a lot of ABA therapists, yeah. although sometimes we disagree. That's okay. Yeah. There's a, the sunrise method, which I personally love, but do I think it's the end all be all? No, you have to, just like you said, developmental appropriateness, um, 
floor time, sunrise, the Montessori method, Mm -hmm. all those different things of teaching children come from these people that you're talking about. What we are trying to say, just like a sensory diet, just like a kid's sensory system, there's no one-stop shop. Right. You kind of have to pull from all of them to make something that's developmentally appropriate for your child. Right. And individualized. Mm -hmm. I think developmental appropriateness and um, individual goals um, are synonymous. So again, going back to infancy with the primitive and primary reflexes, if those reflexes aren't mastered Mm -hmm. and um, that basic virtue of of need and oral fixation isn't met, they're going to be stuck at that stage, Mm -hmm. which we see a lot in our kids. And I know you see that every day, even in your classroom where, um, gosh, I I just lost my whole train of thought with what- Probably because I said right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with what primitive reflexes, even in your classroom, you would see, but I mean, grasp. I was just grasp about to say pencil one. grip. Mm-hmm. Honestly, gait and walking True. and making them do different things. The obstacle courses that we have, a lot of my kids, you would not believe they cannot crawl on their stomach and attend to both sides of their body. So they can army crawl, but their left or their right side just drags. They can pull their right arm and scoot their right leg, but the left is just kind of left hanging by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And I think parents don't know at that age how important tummy time is. Yes. Tummy time would 100% have met that child's needs and and been able to then grow and build upon that foundation. Just like we talked about with the learning period, Mm -hmm. pyramid. I keep doing that. But another thing I want to talk about too is sometimes the old school toys, Mm -hmm. I'm talking wooden blocks, um, easy cause and effect, rattles, all of that are better than all of these High tech, electronic, blue light, light up, something that gives your, you can, I've seen this thing, you could put your baby on it and it like shakes them like that. That sounds. Instead of crawling. Kind of dangerous. Really? Oh yeah, I know. Like shake a baby. But then they, yeah, (laughs) then they never end up crawling. Right. Which is crazy. You have a child that is sedentary and then all of a sudden they're walking. They get this feel, oh, they get this fulfillment like they're crawling, but they don't ever get, it's, it's crazy how much goes into it. It just, it's, yeah, and it's I never, and I, they go like this, another, like they're riding a bull. Another disclaimer I feel like we should mention is Presley nor I are parents. True. So, so oh, we're, yes. we're talking from a perspective of more so teachers and, and therapists and um, working with kids eight hours a day, mm-hmm. whereas parents have kids the 24. other, right, the other 24 minus eight. Oh, I don't know. I'm bad at math. We learned that. 16. Kevin, can I get a math check? Okay, math check, fact check. So the other 16 hours a day. Sleeping. I mean, all the hardest parts. Yeah. We get to come in and kind of be the fun guy. We swoop in and do the fun things and try to figure out what we can foster and help with them. That's such a good point. We are not parents. We are not parents. So we. And it goes back to not parent shaving. If you have the baby shaker, that's awesome. I hope it helps you get better sleep at night. But just. Just don't forget to let them crawl on the grass. Exactly. Just, (laughs) Just let them know that. The easy way is not always the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, not a parent. I don't never say never. And I no. always laugh at people who are like, I'll never drive a minivan or I'll never kiss my kid on the mouth. Hello, me. I said, I'll never favorite. call myself a dog mom. Oh, here we are. And here we are. I'm like obsessed with my, both of my dogs right. and I treat them like my children. So, so. you can never say never, but no. I think, I think it's important to at least say what should be happening. Again, those milestones are, are milestones and have been for for forever for uh-huh. a reason. Now um, I have a Justin Bieber stuck in my head. Never say never. 
I'm not going to sing it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Anyway, continue. I'm so sorry. Um, so from infancy, you would then transition, obviously, into preschool toddler age. So that that's really fluctuating between about 12 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. So one to two years. I also, people who use months, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why after 12, you don't go into a year or year and a half. Year and a half. It's Oh, my, my child's 18. I, is it the clothes? I know Maybe. when people buy baby clothes, it's 18 months to 24 months. So from a perspective, like a development perspective, like what you just said, the yeah. toddler window is 18 to 24 or what you said. I don't remember. I swear I'm listening <laughs> toddler, to Toddler into preschool. Okay, thank you. Sometimes it's important for things like that. But yeah. me, I'm like, cool, 24 months. In my head, I have to think 24. 12 plus is that too how old is he because that's how bad i am in math. <laughs> personally just tell me my kids too yeah you know i i agree that's again I no parent shaming you if you want to say 39 <laughs> months you go for it you go well, and Coco. we love all parents <laughs> we're here to support you we promise um it just might take me longer to realize how old your child is if you give me <laughs> something past nine months Anyway, yeah, math is hard. Mm -hmm. So this age is a really fun age, but again, a lot is going on developmentally. So we start talking about language and cognition they, and and um, social. Oh, All language of, development at that age is so much fun. Everything to them, you can watch them make connections. I had a kid in my class today, we were talking about zoo animals and I was talking about monkeys and bananas mm -hmm. and he said you guys wait and he ran over to the preschool section and got a fake banana and said eat and fed the little banana i'm like yes you're right and he's like huge i just learned that i yeah. learned that this banana is not real but that monkey is not real either and they're gonna eat it together and he used it because he was able to retrieve mm -hmm. what a banana was and what you were saying right. so he was auditorily processing Ooh. he was moving you let him get up leave the group which is a huge no-no a lot of times and you let him kind of work through all of that on his own so he was a hands-on learner yes and now he's going to remember that forever so kudos maybe. kudos miss so. maybe when he's president he'll say you know <laughs> i'm here just because i remember the monkey and the banana thanks miss presley yeah you're welcome shout out thank you um shout out to me so those three <laughs> things are, are really coming into play um so crawling walking talking um, I think a rule of thumb, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is more your domain. Um, at one year, you're saying one word utterances mm -hmm. and sentences, and then at two, two. And yes. I mean, from it there, on. it just explodes. That's the best way to remember it. Mm -hmm. Kind of two word utterances, which just means like sentence strands. So you have a two year old, like he's saying, guys, wait. When he really wanted to say, hold on, I have, I'm thinking about this. I'm going to go get it and I'll come right back. But right. all he got was, guys, wait. Or you have toddlers that say, eat banana or drink milk. Right. Want water. They want their basic needs met. So they cognitively are running through all of these scenarios and words kind of buzzing around. Ooh, Mike. Um, <laughs> they have all these words buzzing around, but expressively, they're only able to do one to two utterances or word sentences, but ex receptively. Ooh, receptively, they're taking it all in. They're able to understand what you're saying to them. So again, another important thing, talk to your kids. Oh my goodness. Talk to them like they're more than little babies. There's a time and a place for motherese and, and the babble and the, the baby talk. But 
once they hit this age, you really should be talking to them in full sentences. You should be talking to them about things that they see in the community or out in public. I was just about to say, it sounds so silly, but I love when I get to work with this population because I say, oh, I'm going to open the door. I'm turning the doorknob and I'm opening the door. (gasps) Now I'm walking in the hallway. It seems so crazy, but a lot of our kids don't know that because they've never been taught. Right. We pick up language so easily and naturally. We can sit, I can listen to everything that's going around me and look with my eyes and, they, oh, okay, they're talking about the green screen mm-hmm. or this awesome studio background. Yeah. Everything's I mean, interconnected, mm-hmm. right? You're Again, you're processing the stimuli, whereas our kiddos, it's all choppy. So they have a one-track mind. They're mm-hmm. either seeing something, they're hearing something, they're tasting something, and it's just not... It's not connecting. They're not making the connection that this is this, this, this. It's so I'm just going to drop this because this could be 100 segments in my mind because you know I love communication. Yeah. That is my love language. Whatever that is. we I work on a total communication scale where I sign all day. I talk. I use a device. But if your child is pre-verbal and needs a device to communicate, you can still model your language on that. If you're not familiar with it, take it home, use it while your kid's at school. I know it stings and I know it's expensive, but work on it because mm-hmm. they have ha- they have to have language modeled for them too. I cannot wait. This is, this is definitely something that you and Courtney are going to just go back and forth yes. about. Courtney Willis, um, speech and language pathologist, she comes and sees a lot of kids at our center and um, she feels very strongly about that too because a lot of parents, I think, have a misconception that if my child starts learning on a device and using a device to communicate, that that's going to um, hinder their verbal language. Thank you. Yes. And it won't. It's a language calculator. Like I said before, Angela. What does that mean? I, I a language you. calculator? Yeah. Oh, I wish I had my iPad with me. Okay. <laughs> so we talk about a lot too, which is another episode, visuals <laughs> and why our children are such visual learners. That sounds so silly. You think, why do I have to label door? They've walked in and out of a door countless times in their life, but sometimes they need that picture, the word, and just to hear it, to make Mm -hmm. that brain stick, the auditory part of it. And iPad, I am most familiar with Proloquo to Go. It's a fantastic device. You can get it on your iPhone, you can get it on your Android, your iPad, whatever it is. It's an app. It's basically, yes, it's an app. Thank Mm -hmm. you. It's basically using pictures to communicate. It is not a PEX system. It functions on a core board with fringe words built in. Kevin, what's a fringe word? You're asking me? Yeah, what's a fringe word? A fringe word? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's off. His mic conveniently isn't working. I put him in the hot seat. A fringe word. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Fringe word. I don't have any idea. So core words are things you use every day. <laughs> I don't day. even have a good guess for that. <laughs> I like... Uh, I eat, I want, I play, all of those that sometimes kids tend to get stuck. Fringe words is, to put it basically, are all of other, the descriptive language. Adjectives, nouns, verbs, plurals. So the fluff of your sentence. So instead mm-hmm. of the meat and potatoes, I go bathroom. It's I need to go to the bathroom, I have to go so bad. Yeah. That type of thing. And we don't ever want to restrict that just because a person is pre-verbal and doesn't have... Um, verbal language yet i mean could you imagine being limited to 100 words no that's why no that's why i think all behavior is communication based right i truly firmly believe that again i'm not a bcba i'm not a speech language pathologist i'm none of those things i just you live it i live it and i really believe that just from my population of Mm -hmm. kids like we've said a thousand times you've seen one kid with autism you've seen one kid with autism right 
I could be completely wrong, but that's what I believe. Anyway, um, core words, aided language simulation, all that stuff. I learned that from not even a speech pathologist. I learned it from Angela, a great a person I fully respect and learn a lot from. And I just kind of took it and ran with it. And now I believe it so much. Yeah, to your to your core. To my core. It's a core <laughs> value. Aided language simulation. Modeling languages. It's so important. It's huge. It's so huge. And the repetitiveness. Yes. I mean, you, you can't expect um, an NBA player to have 100% accuracy on, on their free throws by practicing once a week for 30 minutes right so while the outside therapies are great if you don't have team collaboration and people working on these goals daily um, whether that be at home whether that be in the classroom whether that be in these um, therapy sessions mm -hmm. you, you're not going to have success okay. I mean you it just it physically doesn't work so tangential but super important i want to talk all about language and and what that means and yes. auditory processing and and how how that is kind of all encompassing of our kiddos and right. not only children with with um needs mm -hmm. i i think Every just child. kids in general oh, um, yeah. sometimes kids are are labeled as um defiant or that they are um selective hearing <laughs> when in fact they might have a hearing Disorder, disorder, they or might have, um, they might not understand what you're asking of them. The demand placed on them—that's yeah. a real thing. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that real quick. That's let's do it. Okay, just really fast. Okay, because I could talk about auditory processing for and a long time. And you're on the clock. And okay, really fast. So auditory processing (CAPD) is the full acronym for it. It stands for Central Auditory Processing Disorder, and I'm going to read it so I don't go off on a tangent. How about that? Love it. Okay, so. Central auditory processing disorder is when people don't notice subtle differences between words, even when the sounds are loud and clear enough to be heard. They can also find it difficult to tell where the sounds are coming from and to make sense of the order of sounds or to block out competing background noises. So it's a nerve thing. It's a processing thing. It's not selective hearing or you're not talking loud enough. It's really talking like, hey, did you guys have a good day today? You have no idea. Yeah, what? Huh? Yeah, you're trying. You're trying to focus so hard, but your brain won't let you. Right. And so, then, I I think also my understanding of that too is you're still processing something that maybe I said five minutes ago. Exactly. And then you're exactly. behind, and then you're you're anxious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think anxiety is a huge piece that plays into this. I I think there are underlying issues that come from, I mean, the label of ASD or the label of down syndrome or I mean any label of disability there's always underlying things that we can um, attend to as well so yes. the anxiety I think is a huge part of auditory processing oh and everything that encompasses the little additional things that come with it but you know what let's take a quick break and then we'll finish talking about the you actually don't even need to take a break you guys have already done an entire show no we're done <laughs> awesome you're 28 minutes in i can't believe that i didn't want to interrupt you guys you're on a roll we only got to preschool and toddlers hey guess what we gotta finish up next time girl oh man all right guys excuse me does my hair look <laughs> like that the whole time can i